0: Well, good evening, everyone. Good evening. It is Isaiah chapter 14, where we need to be looking at in our Bibles. If you'll be finding Isaiah the 14th chapter, we'll get ready to do some Q&A for the month of July. And as I mentioned this morning, this is kind of a bonus session to our preaching theme for 2017 because part of taking sin seriously is taking the devil seriously. And tonight what I have in store is four questions... About the devil that I'm gonna try my best to tackle. I probably get more questions about the devil and really just all things that pertain to the spirit realm. Probably, probably more than any other subject. And that's good. I think that's good to want to know as much as we can about the devil. We want to know all that we possibly can know about our adversary. And sometimes that means, sometimes that means we just need to ask a question. If you're visiting with us this evening, uh, Maybe it's your first time being here for Q&A night at Lakeside. First of all, thank you for being here. But secondly, you'll figure out what's going on here momentarily. This is a little bit different kind of format than just your regular gospel sermon. I get questions that are submitted to me by various folks, usually from this congregation. And I study those things and try to formulate and put together some, hopefully some well-thought-out Bible answers. And I do that not only just to try to satisfy our our queries and our curiosities, but to help us, first of all, to develop the habit of using the Bible, and then secondly, develop the habit of using the Bible correctly and properly so that we can work through the various spiritual questions that we often have. It is great to see everybody tonight. So glad that you're here. Hope you've had a good and pleasant afternoon. Maybe you've been able to stay cool in some way. If I could just very quickly echo a note that was included in the bulletin uh, today, and that is that if you do have kiddos Tiffany and I, we'd love to see you and we'd love to see your kiddos at McKibben Manor this evening after services is over. Uh, we'll do some singing of the VBS songs, some songs that we haven't sung in almost a year now, so we want to get refreshed on those songs, songs that we'll be singing uh, next week during VBS. Uh, and so if you've got kiddos... Come and bring them, even if you're thinking, "Well, it's going to be a packed house." Well, it probably will be a packed house, but that's what we're wanting is we want a packed house. Uh, and even if you don't have kiddos and you're just looking to be stirred up uh, spiritually and helped in something, you just come on over too, as well. We won't hold that against you. You'll be, you'll be welcome. Let's talk now for just a few minutes more about the devil. Somebody commented this morning. They saw the title on the the, the uh, both the titles on the sign out there, and they're like, "I guess today's Devil Day down there at Lakeside because both of the sermons are about the devil." Talked a lot about him this morning, but I want to try to supplement that tonight with some other Q and A sorts of things. I'm going to begin with what I suppose is probably the most asked question of all the questions about the devil, and that is that question about his origin. And I'm going to present this question exactly in the way that it was presented to me, and I'm doing that for a very specific reason. The question that was presented is this. Isn't the devil a fallen angel? And if so, how did he turn out to be evil? Now, I can go ahead and give you kind of the abbreviated answer to that question. The short answer to that question is, we don't know. We don't know. The Bible does not give us the origin story, if you will, of the devil. We don't know those details. Instead, the Bible just introduces the devil to us, really on like about the third page. He introduces the devil to us as our enemy, and the Bible doesn't feel any need to offer all kinds of backstory and all kinds of history. However, that lack of backstory has not stopped folks from, from coming up with all kinds of very fantastical explanations about the devil's origins. And that includes the one that our questioner assumes here about the devil once being an angel of God, but then at some point turning evil and falling from heaven. And the reason that that is such a common and widely held thought is because of a verse that's used in Isaiah the 14th chapter. That's where I've asked you to begin. Look in Isaiah 14... Look in verse number 12. In Isaiah 14 and in verse 12, there the Bible says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Verse 15 now. But you are brought down, down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. And so, there you go, right there. Look at those verses. Going to pull some ideas out of those verses. Verse 12 talks about falling down from heaven. If you look at verse 15, it talks about being brought down to Sheol. If you're reading from an older translation, it just says brought down to hell. Well, hey, that's got to be talking about the devil, right? In fact, some of you may have been wondering this morning why on that list of the devil's names, why I did not include the name Lucifer? Because if you are holding one of the older translations, the word that's used there in verse 12 is not day star or morning star. The word that's used there is the name Lucifer. And so kind of the progression of thought is, here's Lucifer. Lucifer was an angel. The angel of Lucifer fell down from heaven. God then threw him into hell. Bang! That's obviously the devil. Well, can I just say to you this evening, as gently as I know how, that's not what Isaiah 14 verse 12 is talking about. Isaiah 14 verse 12 is not talking about a fallen angel. Nor is Isaiah 14, verse 12, talking about any other kind of spirit being. What we need to do is we need to look at the context. That's always going to be the key here. And if we will look at the greater context, what we'll find is that this passage in Isaiah 14, what it is is it's actually a reference to the king of Babylon. Would you back up? Look in verse 4. That's really kind of where this conversation begins. Verse 4, God says, You will take up this taunt, against the king of Babylon. And then what follows in verse 4 all the way down through about verse 21 is this taunt against the king of Babylon. And as you read those verses, you start then putting things together. You realize that Lucifer or daystar or morning star, however your translation renders that, it is a taunt against the literal physical king of Babylon. In fact, I believe that that is really emphasized and made very clear to us when you look at verse 16. Look at verse 16 there. This is clear that we're not talking about some spirit being an angel or something else because verse 16 says, Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man, the man who made the earth tremble and who shook the kingdom? You see, Isaiah 14 is talking about a man. And we saw in verse 4, it's about the king of Babylon, which means then that for us to use this passage to call the devil Lucifer or to use this passage to conclusively say that the devil is a fallen angel, then what we have done is we have done exactly what 2 Timothy 2 verse 15, we've done the opposite of what 2 Timothy 2 15 says. And that is to rightly handle the word of truth. We haven't handled the word of truth correctly when we make those assumptions. You know, maybe it is that the devil was a fallen angel. I certainly don't want to discount the possibility of that. I think about a passage like 2 Peter 2 and verse 4 that talks about that there is such a thing as fallen angels, angels who left that place that they were in heaven and they sinned against God and so they fell in that sense. That's a possibility, But we sure don't want to run over here to a passage like Isaiah 14 and start plucking all kinds of verses out of their context and make them say something that the Bible doesn't actually say. And somebody might be asking then, well, well, what about the other half of that question? What about how the devil, how exactly did that happen, that the devil turned to the dark side? You know, if the devil is a created being, and I believe that he is since God is the creator of all things, And if the devil was once good, and I believe that he was once good because God created all things good and proper and right, Genesis 1.31, then the question we have is, well, what exactly happened that caused the devil to go bad? Well, I think we can maybe provide a little bit of an answer about that. Look in James chapter 1, please. In James chapter 1, James helps us to understand the, the process of sin. In James chapter 1, read with me beginning in verse 13. In James 1 and in verse 13, James says here, James 1 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin... And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, I certainly understand that James says there, each person. And that this text is firmly rooted in the idea of human beings and how human beings can get caught up in sin. But James does seem to outline what I believe is just the general basic principles for iniquity of any kind. That sin is born when someone wants something that they should not want. And I believe that principle would apply to human beings, just the same as it would to angels, just the same as it would to any other kind of created spirit being, that sin is born when there is a desire for something that one cannot have. And as we persist in that desire, we continue to reach for that something that we cannot have. That temptation then leads to sin. And James says sin leads to death. It seems to me then that it is fair to say that whatever happened to the devil... And whenever that happened to the devil, the devil wanted something that was not right for him to have. And instead of him checking that desire, it led to him committing sin. Now I want to reiterate, don't come up to me and ask me follow-up questions about this. I do not know the particulars of how that happened. I don't know when that happened. The Bible doesn't give us all those details. But I do believe we can reasonably conclude, in fact, I really think this is the only conclusion, that somewhere along the way in the devil's history, he sinned and he went from being a good being to being an evil being. And I'd like to think that as I am speaking to a room full of fallible beings, I'm going to guess that each and every one of us, we all know far too well that process that James describes here in James chapter 1 that process of sin that leads a person to defy God and to turn away from Him. So maybe to just kind of put a bow on this question, it's a whole lot of we don't know. We don't know the story of Satan's origins. We don't know if he was a fallen angel. We don't know when and what was all the particulars of that rebellion. We just know that he had to have chosen to defy God in some way and that even to this very present moment, the devil would like to coerce you and I to do the very same thing. Let's follow that up with this second question. I want to follow this up with what I think is also a very common misunderstanding about the devil. And it's really just couched right within the question itself. The second question that I was submitted was this. Is the devil going to be the god of hell? Is Satan going to kind of be in charge, going to kind of be the god over hell? And once again, I can answer that question really, really quick for us. The answer is, absolutely not. This thinking that the devil is somehow going to be in charge of hell, that he lives down there and he just kind of enjoys it, he's presiding over hell, he's taking the role as people come in, he's throwing himself a big old party down in the fire, that is absolutely foreign to the Scriptures. Look at Matthew 25, please. In Matthew chapter 25, you just think, I put just a few up there, but you think about all of the cartoons and all of the artistic renderings of the devil, the things that we see depicted in television and movies. Where does the devil live? Well, we all know where the devil lives. The devil lives down in hell. That's where he's, he's down there right now. He's down there just living it up in the flames. But that's not what the Bible says. Look in Matthew 25. In Matthew 25 and verse 41, as Jesus talks about judgment and the events that will follow judgment, in Matthew 25 verse 41, then He will say to those on His left, Depart from Me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The devil is not living in hell now. The devil's not down there kind of like the warden presiding over the prison. No! That's not an accurate portrayal of what Scripture teaches. Look in Revelation 20. Grab that verse in Revelation 20. We noticed a verse in Revelation 20 earlier this morning. I think it was verse 2. Drop down to verse 10. In Revelation chapter 20 and in verse 10, there the Bible says in Revelation 20 and verse 10 that the devil... The devil who had deceived them, he was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The devil's not in hell now. He's going to be thrown into hell. And the devil when he's there is not going to be the king of hell, the God of hell. No, the Bible says he is going to be tormented day and night forever and ever. This idea that the devil, oh, he just, he just loves hell. He's just living, he's just down there just having a great old time right down there in the midst of that fire. And he's just so absolutely happy down there. No! A thousand times no! Everyone in hell will suffer and that includes the devil. God did not make the devil the god of hell or the caretaker of hell or the king of hell. Instead, the devil will be a miserable sufferer in hell. Just like everyone else who will be condemned to that awful place for eternity. I'm rolling now. That's two down in a pretty short order. Let's work on this third one. Let's turn our attention now to what I think is a rather thought-provoking question. I've actually been sitting on this particular question for a while and I'm glad now to finally have an opportunity to talk about it a little bit. I was asked, does the devil ever do anything good? What about that? Does the devil ever do anything nice? Can the devil do something that's good? Does that ever happen? Well, I want us to talk about that, but I want to begin that discussion By what might seem like kind of an unusual place, I I want to actually talk about God for a moment. Can we talk about God for a second? Let's talk about God and let's talk about God's nature. And a good place for us to talk about the nature of God is in 1 John 4. Look in 1 John chapter 4. I want us to start thinking just about the nature, the qualities and the characteristics of God. In 1 John 4 and in verse 8, there John says this. 1 John 4 verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Notice this. Because God is love. I want you to please notice that this passage does not say that God is loving or that God does loving things, although all of those statements would be true. What the passage says though is that God is love. It is part of who He is. He is the very embodiment of love. It is part of His character. It is part of His makeup. It is part of God's essential nature. He is love. Now maybe just flip back a page. Look at 1 John 1 now. In 1 John 1, here's another one of those great statements about the, the nature of God. In 1 John chapter 1, we're told in verse 5. 1 John 1 verse 5, This is the message that we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light... And in Him is no darkness at all. God is light. Once again, that's just it's just part of who He is. That is part of His character. That is part of His makeup. It is part of His essential nature. Let me add one more layer to that. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 6, the writer here, he's actually talking about the promises of God and how we can know that God's promises are always sure. And so he's talking about the promises that God had given to Abraham and how those always come to pass. He then punctuates those thoughts in verse 18, in Hebrews 6 and in verse 18, that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hopes set before us. You know, we don't often talk about or really think about the things that God cannot do, but Hebrews 6 verse 18 says emphatically that God cannot do something. He cannot lie. He cannot. He will not. It is impossible for Him to do. And why? Because that also is part of His nature. It is because of who He is. It is because of what makes God, God, God is incapable of doing evil. I was trying to think about an illustration to kind of really bring this point home to us. And I struggled for a while and I finally got one. Think about this. I... I cannot breathe underwater. I cannot. I've tried, but I cannot. And I say I've tried because just a couple of months ago, Robbie and Karen and Josh and Ashley, they took me out on Buck Creek and tried to teach me how to kayak. And I flipped my kayak on three different occasions. And on that third occasion, I was completely submerged under the water. And during those few moments that I was under the water, I was actually trying to... (laughs) breathe under the water and what i learned the hard way was i can't do that i'm not able to do that it is impossible for me to do i lack the equipment if you will to take water in and then extract oxygen from that it's just it's just against my nature somebody would maybe say well josh you could you could wear a scuba tank yes i guess i could wear a scuba tank but that would be outside of my nature I cannot breathe underwater because it is not within my nature to do so. And what I'm trying to help us see this evening is that God is as incapable of lying and evil just as I am incapable of breathing underwater. I can't do it. And what the Bible is affirming to us is that God can't do evil. God is love. God is light. God cannot lie. It is not in His nature to even be able to do evil. Now, right about now, somebody's probably thinking, all right, Josh, saying all this stuff about God. I thought we were talking about the devil tonight. Well, you know what? Let's talk about the devil. Let's think for just a second about the devil and about the devil's nature. Would you find John chapter 8, please? In John chapter 8, I want to lean upon a few verses that I read this morning. In John chapter 8 is the first of those. Look in verse 44. In John chapter 8 and in verse 44, this is Jesus talking. And He says in John 8 verse 44, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, notice this, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Lying is a part of the devil's character. In fact, if you're reading from a New American Standard, it actually renders it this way. He is a liar because that is part of his nature. Let me add a couple layers to that. Look in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians verse 4, this is that passage that talks about how the devil is blinding people. Why does the devil do that? 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, In their case, the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them, to prevent them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We know that God is light, and we know that God is truth. And the devil is the opposite of that. He is lies, he is darkness, and his very nature. Is to turn away from the light and to get others to turn away from the light. Let's grab that last verse there in 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5, do you remember what Peter said about the devil's nature? What is the devil's M.O.? In 1 Peter chapter 5 and in verse 8, there Peter says this, 1 Peter 5 verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil... He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. God is life and the devil like a roaring lion. He is all about death and destruction. And so, we understand some things about the nature of God and that God cannot do evil. And now we're also saying that the devil has a nature and that he is the very opposite of all that God is. The devil is darkness and selfishness, and misery, and corruption, and lies, and death. God, on the other hand, is light, love, joy, and mercy, and grace, and every good thing in righteousness. The devil is the exact opposite of those things. And I'm saying to you this evening that just as God cannot do evil, the devil cannot do good. Listen again. Look at that passage again in John 8:44. Jesus says there that when the devil lies... That's not just something that he just kind of does every now and then. No, when the devil lies, he is speaking consistently with who he is because Jesus says, there is no truth in him. And as a result, Jesus is able to then call him the very father of lies because that is his nature. The devil can do no more good than God can do evil. And now, I want to say, and it's worth us pointing this out, that the devil can often appear to be doing something that is good. Do you understand that? The devil can certainly make it look like he's doing good things. I can actually give you an example of that. Look in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew 4, I went over this particular story in the Bible drill this evening with the kids. In Matthew chapter 4, this is the account of Jesus in the wilderness, the temptations of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 4, one of the things that the devil actually does there is the devil actually quotes Scripture. Did you know that? And that certainly seems like a good thing to do. You know, if ever there was anybody who needed to know some Bible, it would be the devil, wouldn't it? So he quotes a little bit of Bible. Matthew chapter 4, look at verse 6. He said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Hey, talk about the Bible. That seems like a pretty good thing for somebody to do. But if you know this whole story, then you know that the devil is quoting from the Bible for malicious purposes. He is trying simply to trick Jesus. He is trying to fool the Son of God. He is resting the Scriptures, if I could use an old King James word. He's resting the Scriptures for his own evil purposes. The devil can do what often appears like a good thing, but it's never going to be for good. Can I give you maybe a real life illustration of that? Think about maybe a fella who, a fella who gets a promotion at work. Well, oh, that looks like a good thing, doesn't it? More money better benefits, the prestige of all of that, being able to take care of your family maybe in a little bit better way. And so we hear about this brother, he's gotten this promotion at work, and everybody's real excited about that. Everybody's patting him on the back. Well, that's just great. That's just wonderful. That's just, I'm so glad that you had that happen to you. And then for a little bit of time passes, we begin to notice we're not seeing him at services as much anymore. And we maybe get a chance to talk to him and he find out, well, got to work. Gotta work, gotta work those longer hours now. I'm a manager now, and so I've got a lot more responsibility than I did before. That just kinda comes along with the position, don't you know? Not only that, but in addition to kinda being made weaker spiritually, his spiritual family here, maybe that's also causing some trouble in his physical family. Maybe he's neglecting his wife. Maybe he's not being able to see and do stuff with his kids as much anymore. Those longer hours, that additional responsibility leads to greater worries and stress and anxiety and a weaker spiritual life. In fact, if that goes on long enough and some changes don't occur, maybe he ends up just kind of quitting the church, just kind of leaving the Lord altogether. Maybe he even gets to a point where he loses his family. And then what do we do? We look back at that moment when he got that promotion, when we were all patting him on the back saying, oh, good for you, that's such a good thing. And then we start to wonder, was that actually a good thing? You no, know what? It was a bad thing. It was a bad thing cleverly disguised as a good thing. In fact, that is exactly the kind of thing that the devil will do to subvert someone's soul and to destroy it for all of eternity. Let me share one more passage in this connection. In James chapter 1, in James chapter 1 again, If you ever have any kind of question at all about where good comes from, well, James will settle that for you. In James chapter 1, look in verse 17. In James 1 and verse 17, James says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. If there's something good in your life, if there's something good going on in the world, where'd that come from? James says, it came from above. It came from God. It came from the Father. I want you to please notice, James does not say, well, you know what? Most of the good in this world comes from God. But there's also some, a few other good things that also comes from the devil. No. James says, every good gift, it comes from above. If it comes from below, it might look like a good gift, it might appear to be a good gift, but it is not. Because the devil does not do good. Finally then this evening, let's find Matthew chapter 5 in our Bibles. In Matthew chapter 5, this is actually the place where this last question is born from. In Matthew 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And in this particular section, really through most of the sermon, but in this particular section, Jesus is contrasting the way of His kingdom versus what was commonly taught in that day and that time, the teachings of the rabbis and even the teachings of the Pharisees. These things are in sharp contrast to one another. And so in the midst of all that, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43, He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, For He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, well, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I want you to focus in there, particularly in verses 43 and 44. And it is from that teaching there that this question arises, and you will probably surmise pretty quickly. This is a question from one of our kiddos. And the question is this, if the devil is our enemy, Mr. Josh did read a passage this morning that said the devil is our enemy, and if Jesus says we're supposed to love our enemies, then does that mean we should love the devil? Now, I want to say this, first of all. I really appreciate when young people take the Bible seriously. This is a wonderful illustration of that very thing. When young people are able to connect Bible thoughts and Bible passages and do that in their mind, and their simple and sole desire is to be obedient to the will of God, that's a good thing. That's very commendable. And so we ought to figure that out. We ought to figure out, does God want us to love the devil? Now, some of you might be looking at that question, you might be thinking, Josh, that's, that's just silly. I mean, come on! Loving the devil? What person who professes to be a Christian, professes to be a follower of Christ, what person like that would ever love the devil? Well, you might be surprised to find out that there are actually a lot of people who feel that way. And I'm not talking about like Satan worshipers. I'm talking about people who profess to be followers of God. You know what those people are called? Those people are called universalists. Universalists are people who believe that God's grace and God's forgiveness and God's mercy, that it is so great that everybody's going to be saved. And I do mean everybody. Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, people who enjoy mowing the grass. I take that was mean. I shouldn't say that. I take that back. They believe that everybody's going to be saved, though, no matter how bad you are. And they believe that that includes even the devil. That the devil's going to be saved. You go home and you fire up your Google machine tonight and you type that in, you'll be surprised at the people who actually believe that God is going to save the devil. Universalists believe that in that last great day, not all of them, but some of them believe That in that last day, God is just going to forgive everybody, even Satan. And He's going to take everybody, even Satan, to heaven with Him. Thus, that means the devil is deserving of our love and our care and our concern. You know what I want to say about that tonight? Not a chance. Not a chance. That will not work biblically. While we should absolutely seek for the good of every man, And that even our enemies, the people who would oppose us and persecute us, our desire is that they would give up their wicked ways and that they would turn to God. I want to say to you tonight, we can't do that for the devil. Because the Bible makes abundantly clear that the devil is lost and that his fate is sealed. In Revelation chapter 12, for example, we are told that the devil rages for a short while because he knows, verse 12... He knows that his time is short. And as we read earlier from Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, Jesus has prepared that lake of fire for the devil and for his angels. The devil's fate is absolutely fixed. We cannot love the devil and we cannot bring the devil to repentance. The Bible does not tell us to love the devil and try to bring him to repentance. What we are told instead is to resist the devil and he will flee from us. James chapter 4 verse 7. We do not love the devil. The devil is our mortal enemy. We abhor what is evil, Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and in verse 9. And so as a result, not only do we abhor evil, we abhor the very source of evil and that is the devil. He is a lion seeking whom he may devour. We don't love a man-eating lion who is devouring people's souls. And so while I do want to reiterate from Matthew 5, we do want to love and to pray for our enemies. We cannot and we will not love the devil. Now, as we begin to extend the invitation of the Lord, I want to say to you this evening that if you are not a Christian, you're of the age of accountability, or if you are not living faithfully as one of God's children, you may not be the kind of person who goes around saying, oh, I love the devil. You may not be saying that with your lips. But you know what? Your actions, the way you are living your life, is telling a different story. Because every day, every hour, and every minute that you continue in your sin, it's another day, another hour, and another minute That you profess your allegiance to the devil and to the devil's cause. How about you make tonight the night that you renounce any allegiance at all to the devil? How about you make tonight the night that you very confidently, not if you don't have to say it with your words, but just by your actions, by your rendering of your obedience to the gospel, you make it known, I don't love the devil. I don't love what the devil is about. I don't love sin. I don't want any part of that anymore. The devil has had a hold of me for far too long and I want to let Jesus break me free of those chains. The invitation of the Lord is open to you and Jesus is well able to do just that. Can we help somebody tonight to repent of sin and to put Christ on in baptism for the forgiveness of any and every and all sin? We'd love to do that tonight. Brother or sister, if sin has crept back into your life and there's some repenting that needs to happen, if there's some praying and encouraging that your brothers and sisters can help you with, and we stand ready to assist you as well. Let's all make very clear by our actions tonight how we feel about the devil. And even more importantly, how we feel about God. Let's do something. Let's do it right now while we stand and while we sing.